Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Amy Cooper Hakim is an industrial organizational psychology practitioner and a workplace expert. She's a speaker, an author, and executive consultant and founder of the Cooper Strategic Group. She helps employers and employees to get along better and coaches leaders and employees to improve productivity, morale, satisfaction, and overall work-life balance. Her book, Working with Difficult People, How to Handle the 10 Types of Problem People Without Losing Your Mind, I'm looking forward to our conversation about that, provides clear strategies to effectively handle the 10 types of difficult bosses, colleagues, and subordinates. So Amy, welcome to People First. Thank you for having me. Well, as I said, I'm really looking forward to the conversation about your book and the research and the work that you've been doing. But I actually want to go back to the beginning and start with your origin story. So when you were a little girl at elementary school and the teacher said, Amy, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you answer then or what did you think you would be doing? I wanted to be a singer. A singer? What sort of singer? Like a pop singer or an opera singer? I actually, I, I've always loved to sing. Story goes that I was singing before I even used to talk. Uh, I would sing uh, based on the music in the grocery store. Uh, and, and I just have always loved to, to sing and to harmonize and such. Um, so that's what I wanted to be. I, I loved pop singing, but I um, actually trained operatically. Mm, so do you still sing now other than in the show? I do. I do. And I knew it was love when I met my husband. And we, um, after our first date, took a little stroll and started singing together. And so, and, and, and uh, my kids actually also sing. So once a week, I require our family to sit and sing and harmonize to one song. Friday night dinner, we inevitably have one song where we sing together. Even my 16-year-old boy who likes to beatbox as compared instead of sing, we all sing one song. That is that is just my uh, the way that I continue and keep that going a bit. Oh so. my goodness! So have you picked out a song for this week, or is it spontaneous? Whatever grabs you. Uh, well, generally we have yeah we have our our repertoire, <laughs> but uh, but I. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. So yes, that is really what I wanted to be. And if I could snap my fingers and be a singer right now, I would still do so. I, I love it. Love it. Love that it. is one of the best answers I've heard because now I've got a picture of you in your Disney lifestyle where the birds oh. are spitting you and your husband and they're serenading each other. It really does happen. You are the proof. <laughs> All right. So you still sing and harmonize with the family, but you're an industrial organizational psychologist and workplace expert, which is a little bit of a mouthful. So help me understand the pivot point then that took you from the harmonies to solving for the disharmonies at work. Look at that segue. <laughs> I like that. Well, you know, as much as I love to sing and truly I, I, I enjoy it and I get asked to sing um, still. <laughs> so I do, I know I could do it. I knew I couldn't make a, make a, make it as a profession. And some advice that my um, family gave to me really early on, they said, if that's your hobby and you love it, great. At the time I wanted to be on star search. <laughs> that was my thing. I never even tried out. Um, but, but they said, pursue it as a hobby, but make sure that you have an education that you can fall back on if that doesn't work. And so I never pursued it beyond the hobby level. 
Um, and so I, I thought, well, what could I do that would be interesting? And my grandmother, who was a mentor of mine, and actually the co-author of the book, um, she was um, going through some newspaper clippings. And I was talking to her about either becoming a clinical psychologist or a lawyer. And she said, oh, actually, Amy, I think the field of industrial organizational psychology is for you. And she gave me a physical newspaper clipping, and it dealt with time management, goal setting, opening the lines of communication, all the things that I like to do in general. I was one as a young kid, I always would organize a closet or help someone create a schedule to get their work done well. And so opening those lines of communication and helping to improve overall productivity just really fit with who I am and, and you know, what I do just generally. And I, I found that that was great advice and it was a great niche to fall into. Well, thanks to Granny. And there you mentioned there that your your co-author is your grandmother, Muriel Solomon. And in fact, the story behind the book is a little different to everybody's else because this is the second edition of working with difficult people. So what was the inspiration behind your grandmother writing the first edition and how did you get to get involved other than the familial relationship in <laughs> updating the content for the 21st century? Sure. So my grandmother was a very special woman, a mentor of mine. Um, she passed away many years ago. But I actually remember helping her work on the index for the first edition of this book. She would tell me about uh, the way that she helped to open these lines of communication in the workplace. She was not an industrial psychologist, but she was a management consultant and someone ahead of her time. Uh, she managed a branch in a bank when she was young. She graduated high school at 16. She did things that if you think of women back in those ages, and mm -hmm. days, they, they didn't have some of those types of responsibilities. And she went into businesses and helped to improve communication. People would come to her from near and far, friends, relatives, loved ones. Can you help me solve this problem? Because she was just that type of person. And so she fell into her own uh, brand and started creating these management communication and business relationship type pop, pop psych books. And when I found out that this specific book was still selling, I was really excited. Um, so she, I mean, she passed away 17 years ago now, I mean, a long while ago. And this book, though, was chock full of very important information about dealing with different types of difficult people. But interestingly, because of when it was written, there is no information on narcissism or passive aggressiveness or how do I deal with my boss looking at his smartphone instead of me when I'm trying to get his attention. None of that was there. And so I approached the book publisher, did not know that this was not the normal way to go about it. I went to the book. I, I approached your book publisher and I said, hi, uh, my grandmother was a mentor of mine. She wrote the first edition and I love this book, but it's really outdated. May I please update it? And they said, yes. And uh, <laughs> I was very, very grateful. It was such a special project because I got a chance to add to my grandmother's legacy. And um, I sort of liken it back to the music. Uh, to, do you know the song Unforgettable with Nat oh, Cole yes. and then his grandmother, yeah, right, daughter or granddaughter sang after the fact and it was just such a beautiful moment. So that's what this experience was for me. I was given a paper copy of this book because it was so old. They didn't mm -hmm. have an electronic version and I updated it by hand and then inserted paragraphs by word, word uh, you know, documents mm -hmm. and we pieced together 
this updated version. And it was just such a special project and a beautiful way for me to add to my grandmother's legacy. And uh, and then since then, I've been speaking on the topic much more so and using my background in industrial organizational psychology to support uh, some of these changes and suggestions and enhancements to her work. So I love that. I mean, what a wonderful legacy and a way to honor your grandmother. And the title again, Working with Difficult People, Handling the Ten Types of Problem People Without Losing Your Mind. And I'm sure all of us at some point or another have either <laughs> lost our mind at work about a colleague or at least gone home at the end of the day and gone, oh, you won't believe what so-and-so just said or did. So this yeah. is a really invaluable resource. But let's start with the basics. What do you mean about, uh, or how do you define a difficult person? Well, interestingly, difficult people can be those who just make us angry and make us, you know, <laughs> cower or, sh- or, or move away from them because we can't stand their presence. They could be caustic or, or mean, but those are not always the difficult people that I deal with as a consultant. A lot of times when I'm called into an office to help deal with a difficult person, it's someone who isn't perhaps doing his or her job or someone who is interrupting the workday by, um, by, by chatting or showing a picture, you know, the, the, their dog's latest trick on Facebook as mm-hmm. compared to, uh, you know, getting their job done. So difficult people can go that whole gamut of someone who's physically, you know, abusive, emotionally abusive, nasty to be around. Uh, but again, we don't see that as often as just someone who might be interrupting us or making it so that we can't get our work done or our day um, as productive as possible so we can go home and enjoy the, the people and the things we really want to enjoy. So what do you find of the 10 different types that you address in the book? What are sort of the most common ones that you're asked to help individuals and teams overcome? So in general, when it comes to a boss, I often hear that bosses are narcissistic. Uh, That word is used a lot. It's actually very uncommon for someone to truly fall into that category. But I do oftentimes have um, people call me and say, you know, my boss is uh, so difficult to deal with. It's like an emotional hot potato instead of taking any responsibility for him or herself. It just gets thrown on my, you know, to me. Um, I'm in the hot seat. I can't get out. Um, So I hear a lot of that. Uh, with regard to mid-level or lower-level employees or uh, you know, subordinates, a lot of times it's people who are not productive, people who don't get their work done, don't take the job seriously, um, and trying to get them to stay focused and on board so that they're, they're not going to be a, a problem for the organization, but rather help the organization to promote and accomplish its goals. It's interesting because there seems to be a a connection and a mirror here that my misunderstood genius is somebody else's difficult person. Ah. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know that anybody gets up in the the morning and thinks, I want to be seen as belligerent or I want to be seen as intimidating, but that's the impact that we have. So how do you even start the conversation around addressing difficult people? Well, so it's really funny because a lot of times I get called by the higher level individuals within an organization, uh, you know, say the CEO or some executive leader. And that individual will say, I don't know what's going on in my company. You know, my top level people are, are not performing. The, the best, the stars are leaving. They're taking up their jobs. Uh, I can't get people to do what they're supposed to do. Come help. 
And so I go into the organization and oftentimes we have the same story <laughs> at the end of the day, we have to get there. And so the leader may say, um, oh, you know, so-and-so did this and let me tell you all about my star players and, and we'll go through a whole visionary and, you know, idea and interview. And then only to find out, of course, that the leader is the one who's truly difficult <laughs> and that people are, are leaving because they don't want to work with that individual, right? So we see that a lot, but the only way to work through that process is for me to speak to all of the individuals who work for that person and say, do you feel valued? You get to do at work what you feel you can most successfully do? Do you feel like you are, you know, contributing and helping yourself to grow personally, professionally? At the end of the day, do you come home and say, gosh, I had a great day at work. I really enjoyed what I did. Do you feel empowered and valued? And, and so we go through all of that. And then ultimately, through my interviewing, I'll find out that the boss is squelching ideas, oftentimes saying, you know, my idea, you know, take it or leave, you know, there's, this is it. This is, there's one way I know I'm the expert. And so I have to bring that back to the leader and talk to the leader and coach the leader to help him or her to see, you know, hey, I also play a role in this relationship. And while obviously someone is at the top of an organization because he or she earned it, likely the better leaders are those who are able to surround themselves with people who can complement their own particular skill set. Mm -hmm. So when we're able to say, here are my strengths, and instead I don't want to be focused on worrying about, you know, micromanaging these individuals. Instead, I want to say, I empower you to do this, do that, so that I can ultimately put my seat up on the desk and think about the vision <laughs> of the organization. I actually physically, and it's hard to do with the camera, but I will move back and put my feet up so that the, the executive can say, this is where you need to be. This is where I want. I want you to call me up and say, I no longer need your services because my feet are up on the desk. And my organization is running smoothly. And the only way to get there is for everyone to accept their own particular roles and recognize that there is power in letting others work too. Others have ideas too. And that can be very, very challenging for many people who are in a boss type position. It's interesting because it does start with holding the mirror up. And it's interesting how, how much trust and confidence people will show in us as complete strangers coming in as the consultant when we're doing that diagnostic. And often for leaders, when we hold the mirror up and say, well, is this the intent? They're shocked and appalled because nobody has given them the feedback till now that that's how their style is landing. And they haven't made the connection between the self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm being directive. Well, why is nobody speaking up? Well, because they're waiting for you to direct them. And so you're, mm -hmm. you're part of the problem. So I love that. Sure. Now, in the book, I notice that you structure the recommendations that you have, depending on whether your difficult person is a boss above you or whether it's a colleague, et cetera. So help me understand that sort of 360 degree view. How is it different? Well, so if we take someone uh, like a bully, if that person has bullyish tendencies, then likely that person was a bully on the schoolyard. <laughs> likely also a bully as a subordinate, a bully as a colleague, and a bully as a boss. But the way that we interact with that individual, we have to recognize our particular role in that relationship. So if we're going to ask for and expect different things from individuals based on their relationship to us. So I could speak to a bullyish colleague in one way, 
but I wouldn't be able to speak to a bullish boss in the same way Mm -hmm. without potentially having certain repercussions. Mm -hmm. And of course, if that person works for me, then I can lay down the law a little bit more so. And so recognizing that can help us to say what we need to say so that we are able to get what we want and need from those individuals and those respective relationships. So it's important to see that the way, despite the fact that they may have similar tendencies, and they likely do if it's personality-based and going up through, we still have to say, okay, what role does that person have with me? How then do I need to interact with that person so that I'm respected and so that I get what I want and need and he or she gets what they want and need from me? So let's uh, look at that a little deeper in a two-part question coming up. So for people listening to this who may recognize that they're working with a difficult person, uh, they may not read the book yet to diagnose what type of difficultness, they just know that this person's difficult. What advice do you have for the first steps in approaching this conversation with your colleague, wherever they sit, to start to affect change? So that's part one. Let's do that one first, and then I'll give you part two. Well, so we have to do our best to take emotion out of the situation. So what is it that I want pragmatically from this person? If I could take emotion and strip it away, what is it that I need or what do I want to ultimately get? Do I ultimately hope to work hand in hand with this colleague? Do I ultimately hope to be respected and heard? by this colleague? Do I need this colleague to stop showing me the pictures of (laughs) grandchildren or dogs on Facebook because I have to get my work done? Or is this person interrupting me, embarrassing me? So we have to be very clear. And it's hard because it's hard to separate emotion from the end goal that we're looking for. When we think about personal relationships, Mm-hmm. The smiles that come to our faces when we think of our loved ones or me singing with my husband right on our walk. Those are things that is emotionally laden. That cannot be workplace. When we think of the workplace, as much as we should be empathetic, as much as we should be kind and personable, we have to separate the emotional component. And that's the most difficult thing I ask of the people who I help. Take emotion out of the equation. And when you do that, you can be very practical. Here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's what this person wants. Here's what this person needs. Here's where our communication is broken down. And here's what we need to do to move forward. So in order for me to be most productive, I need this. If this is related to work, I can help you. If not, I've got to get back. Mm-hmm. Be very clear, very direct. That communication can help, but we have to first realize what is it that we need and where is the disconnect. So if we can step back and figure that out, that's very, very, very useful. And that's before going into having the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So if I get so frustrated, uh, I hear it a lot. People are busy working. Uh, they want to get their job done so they can leave. They can turn off their system. They can not have it hanging over their head. Maybe they're working with somebody who doesn't take things as seriously or who is all about false pretenses or, you know, pretends to know something and, and says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll handle it. And then all of a sudden it's on, it's on my desk and I've got to take care of it. So, so we've got to be able to, to rein that in. What do I need? I need to get my work done. How do I get that done? I need to set boundaries. Who are the boundaries with? And and we have to break Mm -hmm. it down like that. And when we do so logically, then we can go in and have a discussion. We have to take that first step. So start with yourself. What are your guidelines and boundaries so that you can articulate that and the request that you have of your colleague? 
All right. So the part two of that question is I'm listening to this conversation and I've just realized that my attention to detail may be being misinterpreted as nitpicker, that maybe I am that difficult person. So what advice do you have there for somebody who's just gone, oh, no, how do they move forward to change that reputation that they've created? Well, first off, self-awareness is huge. And my favorite types of clients are those who come to me and they say, I realize I'm the difficult person, help me. Because that's really the first step. You know, if we think back to uh, what I often see when going into organizations, that executives only realize it after the fact, after they say, oh gosh, you know, wait, I'm a part of this. So having that self-awareness is something where you can really be proud to say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm taking the right steps to make these changes. And being aware is really one of the most critical components. I like to think of these types of issues as executive sensitivities. So if we have, if we're sensitive to something, we are focused a little bit more so Um, And we then either overdo it or underdo it, right? So if I'm concerned that I'm a nitpicker, if I'm aware, then I also have to be aware that because of that, I might be very, very much a micromanager. I might say, even though it's a colleague who would take offense at me being a micromanager, I might say, give me exactly, exactly what you need to do. Wait, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I don't agree with this and, and really cause a tense environment. That might be if I'm overdoing my general tendency to be more nitpickish. But if I underdo it, I might be so aware of that and so afraid that I will upset or offend my colleague that I become very laissez-faire. Yeah, sure. You want to do that? Mm -hmm. Knowing full well that the project will tank. Mm -hmm. Knowing full well that it will not work out. And maybe I have some passive-aggressive tendency where I'm doing that. Then the person will say, oh, no, next time you've got to take the lead. So we play games with ourselves. We have to be aware and alert. If we know that we have a particular tendency and we may then over or undercompensate for it, then we need to express that to the individual. You know, hey, Sally, I I have a tendency to nitpick sometimes. So if you find I'm doing that, please know I don't, it's not any intention that I have to undermine or to make you feel uncomfortable. Just call me on it. You know, I I want us to make sure that we have an open and, and a clear relationship. And by doing that, by the way, Sally might then say, oh, you know what, Amy, I actually, um, I find that I'm like this, or, you know, I'm glad you said something because I really felt uncomfortable and I didn't want to bring it up to you. Mm -hmm. And so opening the lines of communication, I like to think of uh, an old fashioned TV set with the antenna that are like that and all the noise, Mm -hmm. uh, which is static on the TV screen. And you have to adjust the antennas just so, so that the picture comes out clear. That's what this noise is the noise of the communication breakdown. And when we open the lines of communication, when we adjust our antenna, then all of a sudden we have that clear and free communication. And by the way, when we get back to the emotional aspect, the people we love, the people who appreciate and actually embrace our idiosyncrasies, embrace our (laughs) negative tendencies and think of, oh, that's just Amy. Oh, that's right. That's just the way she is. That's part of her charm. Well, a boss doesn't think that. A colleague doesn't think that. A subordinate doesn't think that because they look at it that this person is hindering me from getting my job done or from doing well at work. And so we have to make sure that we are very clear. And when we can take the emotion out, this is who I am. This is how I'm wired but I want to work with you and what can we do to accomplish our goals together? 
So one conversation at a time and don't bottle it up because that might result in the tit for tat response that just exacerbates the situation. Oh, gosh. Yes. And take a deep breath. You know, if you find that you're quick to jump and quick to um, judge yourself or others before reacting, stop, breathe, count to 10. You know, you don't always have to quickly respond to an email. You don't always have to answer a phone call if you're in the middle of something. You don't always have to respond to a text message. We have to set boundaries. And sometimes if we realize that our response comes off in a way that is misunderstood or is not perceived as we intend, then taking a minute to walk away from our system, come back, reread our email, reread our text before pressing send can also help to diffuse some potentially negative and uncomfortable situations. Amy, this has been a powerful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and experience. So what final thoughts do you have for the listeners? And of course, how can people learn more about the book and the work that you do? So my thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, you know, my final thoughts are really to remain true to yourself. Uh, set those boundaries so that you're able to work when you work, but play when you play. Just like any type of schedule that you set, when you have a specific standing appointment with somebody for work, you wouldn't dare break that. Well, similarly, set those same types of appointments for things that bring you joy and comfort in your, in your time. Uh, that way you're able to enjoy life and work hard, but also play hard. So I think setting those boundaries is really, really critical and something that I, I think, especially in today's day, uh, where so many boundaries are blurred, we really need to set the, the, the tone. And when we set that tone for ourselves, whether we are solo practitioners or leaders within an organization, then others will follow. So uh, definitely that would be my, my advice and my takeaway. And uh, to find me, my website is amycooperhakeem.com. I'm also cooperstrategicgroup.com. My book, Working with Difficult People, is sold anywhere books are sold. It's also an ebook and audio format. And I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> all those things at Amy Cooper. <laughs> there is no hiding. And I'll make sure, Amy, all of that information is in the show notes around this video. Thank you again. Thank and I wish you. you ongoing health, success, and fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You too. So nice to talk to you today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.